Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. Jimmy, let's do it again, man. Glad to be here with you. Good to see you. Good to be seen, baby. Yeah. Uh, we got sun yeah. and it's, uh, it's going to be a nice weekend. I cannot wait. Spring has uh, arrived. Yeah, I might have to shave this beard. It'll feel hot, you know, the weather changing. Um, speaking of it being hot, my excitement is bubbling over to introduce everyone to the other side of the conversation we kicked off on our last episode. The last episode, we talked about this dynamic, flexible part of who you are. And now today we're diving into this fixed part of your work, your role, how you show up. Um, and I got to give you props on this because I would not know it existed if it weren't for our relationship. So this is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, I, I know for me as a little bit of a background, our, the work that we do at companies, I was on a search for a number of years. Uh, you and I have taken the tests, right? We've done all these things. We just, how many of them are, we study them. You've got even more background than me, years and years and years. But I was trying to like really pay attention to the world-class ones and the new ones. But my frustration was, like we talked about in the last episode, they confuse the, the, the parts of you that you can change and the parts of you that aren't going to change. Because uh, I noticed after years of leading people, people are going to do what they want to do, right? I mean, you can, you can work with them all you want. So all that to say, uh, I, I had a, this is like a conversion type experience, man. Uh, experienced it, saw it for myself. We're going to be explaining what it is and what happened. Um, but as we kick off here, I would love to start with this. And I'm, we're going to get in the science and the overview and the big picture. What has it done for you personally to have insight into the genetics of how you work that just aren't going to change? Yeah, uh, the fixed part of me. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, when... Uh, What's often what oftentimes happens when you receive a report, uh, whether it's an assessment, uh, an evaluation, or in our case, a measurement tool, uh, you know, you know how you do it. You know, you look at it, you see how much of it lines up with your your beliefs about who you are and your experience of who you are, and you judge the validity of the tool based on how much you agree <laughs> with with what it says about you, uh, and uh, and. That's human nature, and it's it's totally acceptable. What was great about the report that I received, uh, it's called the Position Success Indicator, the PSI. What was great about the report is it's it's several pages, and it looks at 150 data points in multiple ways. And I gravitated to this one page that uh, has colors, and you know I'm a visual guy, so yeah, it, it's the most graphic uh, way of expressing the data. And uh, I really, I saw 
the fingerprint, you know, the DNA picture, the readout of me at my truest sense, my truest form, not the me I wish I was, not the me I tried to be, not the me I would convince myself or try to convince somebody else I am. And and the wake up for me, man, the wake up call was, holy shit, this is me. And you know what? I can be everything that I want to be as this person. If I, if, so it kind of, it kind of gave me um, the clarity and it triggered a desire in me to kind of admit this is who I am. This is, and, and, and stop fighting who I am mm-hmm. to kind of, to kind of create the life or the role for myself that I thought I wanted. So many of us, so this is going deeper than you expected, Chris, but I, I think oh, I love it. so many of us in life, we follow the shoulds and we were raised to think certain things about what's possible for us. Is every human being on the planet, could every human being on the planet be the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company? We might all, we might, uh, granted, this is not true, but we might all think we could, but is it realistic? No. What's wrong with understanding? Uh, what's wrong with understanding how you approach problem solving and how you approach the world mm-hmm. and understanding what types of experiences, roles, um, activities, capabilities that are best, that you're best suited for? What's wrong with identifying that track and then becoming the best you possibly can be in that track? Mm. We're not talking about limiting your potential. We're not talking about squashing dreams. What we're talking about is, as you've said oftentimes, Chris, cooperating with what's unfolding. Well, how about cooperating with who you really are? Mm -hmm. What if you could stop fighting who you are? What if you could stop resisting who you really are and put all that effort and energy into becoming the best version of who you are? And Chris, for me personally, that woke up an entire, entirely new way for me to look at myself, for me to help my kids understand themselves. Why not simply do what we always have talked to you about? Be the best version of you. All right. Well, where do I start? Well, what was amazing for me? The PSI gave me that, the, gave me the welcome mat to understanding, to opening the door to who I really was, who I really am. Mm. Mm. Man, that's it, it takes me to an inspirational point that you've made a number of times that I'll, I'll come back to. But my own story is going to just validate how hard it is to really know yourself. I worked for a visionary leader and uh, I would see how they would come in and create problems and then let the team wrestle with solving it. And I didn't have this awareness at the time. I just saw that it would create so much disruption. And, and, and the, here was the issue. They were just doing what was top of mind, not being strategic. So it was too much. But what I took away from that was a healthy leader isn't going to burden their team that way. Um, falsely then tried to make myself something I'm not, a real strong finisher, operational strategic thinker. 
And then I'm not in my zone of genius. So I look at the PSI and it's like, I need to be in this place that I am abstract, conceptual, visionary. That's who I am. And if I am courageous in who I am and true to that, then I'm stepping into meetings, creating problems, right? Taking us to the next horizon, but I'm not doing it flippantly off the top of my head. I'm doing it strategically and measured and, you know, in a pace and capacity the team can handle. And so there's, you know, you and I have worked enough with leaders to know that so often because of experiences they go through, they can trick themselves into thinking that they work in a certain way, but it isn't true to who they are. And uh, sometimes when the data stares you in the face, right, yeah. you, you, you see that, you get that permission, you relax, but it's going to mean some changes. And those changes are going to be natural to who you are, even if at first it feels uncomfortable because you're not used to it. Yeah. You say something inspirationally about this that I think is powerful, and I'd like you to explain more what you mean about it, that done right when we understand this data, that each person uh, has this role they show up in or this way they work, I should say. There's no, you say, throw away people. What do you mean by that? Right, right. Well, when we um, think about developing healthy leaders, scalable teams, and growth cultures, it's normally in the context of a vision or a goal that the company has, its board of directors has, its CEO, its investors, founders, owners, whomever they have for this entity. Um, and so we know that the only way for an organization to get there is by attracting and retaining the best possible people that they can for the absolute correct roles that the organization needs them to play. So, um, so when I say there are no throwaway people, this comes, this goes back to this idea of why use measurement tools? Why use assessments? Why have I for 30 years been searching for the right tools? Why have you been searching for the right tools? Well, the idea for me personally is uh, in, obs in observing hiring managers. When I observe hiring managers, I observe people who, by default, because of their human nature, unless they have been coached to a higher level of performance or awareness, they choose to pick people who look like them, sound like them, act like them, unless they're coached out of that. Uh, they tend to be emotional. So the first great thing I see from you, I'm going to just grab onto that and make this decision easy. And then if that's in the first five minutes, the rest 90 minutes of our conversation could give me all kinds of signs about why you're not the right person because I made a decision early because <laughs> I, I, I imprinted this emotional charge on you, you're going to get hired. Uh, we're, we're all, and the same goes for the negative, right? And so we have a subjective way of hiring, even when we use scorecards and capture, you know, the numbers or the scores that we give people, it's still more like um, judging, you know, a floor routine in the Olympics, right? Pure subjective judgment versus timing a hundred meter dash, right? Hmm. There is no argument. We have a photo finish and the time is the time. So it's very objective versus very subjective. So the, the value of these tools, Chris, is to help us um, counter our 
need as emotional beings to be emotional and to make emotional decisions. And when we do that, we recognize now all the biases and all the other things that cause us to think a certain way about someone in our organization, someone in our midst, all the political implications of who they might be, how they might operate. Uh, we can we can get rid of all that and we can understand them at a core based on these 150 data points and then truly understand where they can add the most value in our organization, mm. especially if we know them and we understand the institutional knowledge they have and the value they bring. If they don't fit in the role they're playing or I have to move them in some way, I don't have to just throw them away. Or if I find someone that's not performing, so what do we do with them? Well, do we just throw them away or do we look for a place in the organization that they can fit? Well, how do I go through that process? The PSI is the first step. Awesome. Awesome. It's, it's, uh, there are people that are listening to this now that know that idea where they're looking for that mirroring coming back. And it's, it's so damaging in the way they hire and build a team. But I think even for the advanced listeners, what's been so powerful for me is to see this tool datatize my gut and intuition. Because your intuition or gut, the more you lead, the more you upgrade it, the more you build your awareness, is going to be a right. Is going to be right a lot of the time. But it is so powerful to have a piece of paper with data on it that has been tested and verified, and you go, "Man, I thought that," but it is good to see it on paper. Right. Well, Chris, let me, let me interrupt. I mean, who gives a shit if it's right a lot of the time, honestly, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, let's just, let's just be real. I mean, and I put myself in this category, your gut, how often is your gut going to be right? Yeah. Is it, you know, what statistically it's not even right 50% of the time. And guess what, what, what that means you're better off rolling dice at playing the craps table. Your odds are better playing craps than they are trusting your gut when making decisions about human beings and what role they can play or not play in your organization. And let's just think about the implication of being right or wrong. Let's just think about the implication of being wrong. You're pulling, you're messing with someone's life, their livelihood, right? They may have family, mortgage, all these things depending on, now, do you, are you responsible for all that? To some degree, you're responsible for that decision, pulling them out of a job or putting them into the job they're not prepared for. And the impact on their life, as much as you can control the accuracy of that decision. So yes, if you, you know, there are no throwaway people also refers to this idea that just because the company can survive making a bad decision, well, we hire them, they don't work out, we'll just replace them. Who gives a shit? Well, I'll tell you what, who cares? That person that you pulled out of a job and put into this job, this new job, mm. not knowing if they would be successful. How about this? Let's do everything we can to figure out if they're going to be successful. But then let's think about what the company, you know, what the company has at stake in terms of not choosing the right person. You chose the wrong person. Now, how long are you going to have to live with the wrong person in this role? How much of your manager's time are you going to spend developing this person? How much of your onboarding and training are you going to invest? How much uh, is it going to cost you in terms of the opportunity cost to have this person in a job, not delivering the, the, at the level that you need them to? And then let's think about how decisive the organization is. Do you have metrics in place that are going to help you figure out when is the right time to pull the plug on this person? The vast majority of organizations don't. So what do we do? 
the first time they show up is not being able to do the job, we give them a pass. We give them another pass. We give them another, you know, it's not three strikes and you're out. We have absolutely, most hiring managers have absolutely no idea when to let go of a person that isn't performing. And the biggest reason they're reluctant to do that is because they can't, they really don't have a sense of how to replace them effectively. Should I replace this person with another gut instinct? Well, this first gut instinct was wrong. Maybe I let go of them and replace them. I get someone worse. (laughs) So this idea of not knowing how to improve causes us in many cases to hang on to mediocre folks. And then what ends up happening? That snowball ends up creating an organization that has a lot of mediocre people in it. And then we end up building an organization that's mediocre. And while we might have superstars or heroes that we depend upon to pull us out of the, out of the weeds, we, uh, we create, we create um, barriers for our own growth because we don't know and because we're not able to find the tools that can help us out. Dude. So yeah, we're hurting people. We're wasting resources and we're creating a false ceiling to the potential of our organization through mediocrity. Um, Yeah. So there's a lot on the line here. Now, what I want to do is we're going to come back to the individual awareness, but this data that we gather produces a big picture view, the overall team report, the GMI, and we can see where everybody is at. Now, for me, like it, it is hard to state the value of seeing this image for the first time. But when I saw it, and you know this as we show it to companies, it's like, yeah, I want that <laughs> for my team. When I saw it, what I saw for what we were doing in building an organization was truly no exaggerated statement, um, like shining a light into all of the places you could have a dark corner in building a team. It's like, Ooh, we're we're a little out of balance here. We need a person here. And you can, you can just see this picture coming together. Um, So tell us a little bit about what this report is and what people can expect when they get that for their team. Yeah. Uh, It's the uh, team success report. And, um, and that when you say GMI, you're referring to the growth multiplier index, which is, the suite of uh, tools that we use. Yeah. Cause this idea here is, um, you know, we develop a site shift develops healthy leaders. Flores group transforms healthy leaders into growth multipliers. And so what's amazing here is that what this tool did for us, for you and I um, can't be, can't be overstated. Um, Hmm. Because if for anybody on the, on the uh, that's listening in, if you've ever built a company and you've assembled a bunch of um, founders together or uh, top producing leaders together, and this is going to be the core nucleus of the organization as it grows, right? It's it's challenging when you it, it, if it's not obvious, and even if it is obvious, as to what role each of you plays. It, without a clear definition of the roles and why you're in those roles, uh, it can be confusing. We can bleed over and we can also not know 
when uh, when we overstepped our role. And we can also miss opportunities to bring people into the organization that can fill a gap. Because you know, you know what it's like when you're a top performer and you're ambitious and you're smart, you can do it all. So why not just do it all? I don't, we don't need a third person or a fourth person or a fifth person to round us out. When in fact, what you and I recognized is we had, we recognized our zone of genius and we right away saw the gaps and said, okay, great. Now we know where to put other people. And now we can go search for those folks. And I'll tell you what, for me, I'd love to hear what you, what it meant for you. But for me, it was, it unburdened me just in the same way that understanding my capabilities helped me focus on who I am and allowed me to become the best version of who I am. This allowed us, I think, to focus on the business and system and, and have a systematic way that we could build the business into the into the best version of it that we could. I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, when I first looked at the TSR, the team success report for our organization, I was like, oh my gosh, uh, the imbalance is so clear. The lack of ability to scale is so clear. Uh, it, it It's so intuitive. You grasp it immediately and you start to figure out, you know, the parts and pieces and what makes up the whole. And so, yeah, Literally a relationship I've had since 2011 with one of my key partners, uh, one of our key partners now, and the way that it got him into his own genius with his role and the way that he has absolutely crushed and performed at the highest level on so much we've done over the last year, just from getting into that fixed spot that was natural for him. He's got the flexible work down. This fixed part, just awesome. And then to, to grow our team and go, okay, this is what we need next. Right, you know, right. What's been really crazy is meeting with organizations now. Uh, even before they go through the TSR, I can, I can consult where they're experiencing pain based on just meeting the team and asking a few questions. They're like, holy, how, how do you know this? How are you? Well, because this is this data it's going to show you right what we're what we're seeing over and over so yeah for me huge and um i, I would never build a team without it right right it, one of the things that you brought up for me is this um idea i talk about team often in the context of creating leverage uh, and the value of a manager or a leader leading a team is that you know their value is in organizing those individuals so that you have a one plus one plus one equals five or seven. There's leverage created by virtue of those people coming together. The, the value of them is more, right, than the sum of their parts. And that comes from the healthy leader and growth multiplier. Uh, well, how do you get there? Well, when you're starting out a team or an organization, oftentimes it's common to have generalists people who can do lots of things. And when organizations move into a scale-up mode or a growth mode, there a transformation must occur where the mindset of the organization now has to shift from generalists taking care of everything, right, into more the development of more specialized roles. And so the PSI 
in terms of understanding our natural capabilities and then helping us apply those natural capabilities to the roles that we are playing. First off, it can help you understand it as a starting team, as a founding team. Do you have enough generalists to get through the initial risk phase, the, the initial time that's required to get through startup? If you've got too many specialists, you could be in trouble. But as you hit scale, scale up mode, if you continue to hire generalists and you miss the opportunity to hire specialists, then you miss the opportunity to create scale, to create that leverage. Because as you scale, you want specialized people in specialized roles so they can become profoundly outstanding in those roles in the same way that it worked for us, Chris, as the same way you described um, our partner. Um, when you can become focused, then you can become more disciplined. You can become more innovative. You can become uh, more impactful in the organization. And when each member of the team is in their operating in their zone of genius and can deliver that kind of value, that is one way that you create that leverage and produce value that's way more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, uh, and that's just that's just one of the benefits of thinking about this in a team context. Yeah, it's building out this whole picture. It's hiring, it's placement, it's shifting and adjusting. I mean, and as the team leader, you then know, I am not leveraging this person unless they shape it from their strengths. I can come in with the problem or the vision, but I have to look at what I have as half-baked <laughs> and they fully bake it through them applying their uniqueness to it, their gifting. Now, here's the thing. So we're talking about this TSR. Let's zoom back down to the, the PSI. The PSI is the individual report. TSR is the team report out of that. Um, what's so powerful, people go through this, they see the TSR, they're like, ooh, we need to learn about each of us as individuals. So when they get the PSI, they're getting this multi-page report that talks about you know, work and the role of work and the specifics in a way that I've never seen broken down. Um, I find it so powerful. I want you to share a little bit about how that data is used to build a role description right? so that you can match uh, through hiring, through workforce you know, optimization and redeployment uh, people to these roles where they can excel. Yeah, that's a, a great question. Uh, so I think one of the value points that we should talk about here is that we talk about this idea of why assess and guess, why not measure and match? Mm. And so we talk about measuring and matching because we're able to leverage the PSI to understand. Um, and we, for the, the short abbreviated term that we use is your performance mindset or your natural work style. But if, we, if we're using the PSI to understand um, the DNA that makes up your performance mindset. Um, we can also use that. We can also use the tool to define the operational DNA of the role. So if we can, if we can, if we can identify what is required to be successful in a role, that using the PSI, then I can go out and I can measure the performance DNA of multiple people and identify which of those are the best fit for that role. So this is the only tool that we've come across 
And and by the way, I mean, these assessments have been around since the end of the Second World War, right? When personality became a thing and it gave us the first look at how we could understand people from an assessment perspective. But in the last 70 years, there really hasn't been any significant innovation in any assessment tool, uh, whether it's personality, behavioral, um, cognitive, whatever. Uh, because the problem is all those tools are doing is evaluating the individual. And then what do you do with that data? Mm -hmm. Right. What we can do with this data is we can codify or datatize the role definition and we can codify or datatize our understanding of the human being of the employee and we can identify that match. So this is this is a this is the first time in history that we're able to actually use data to create that handshake. And and again, not to make a decision about who's in and who's out. There's lots of other um factors that go in like experience, like temperament, other 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 areas sure. of fit that have to be assessed by the human being. But this is a great first step. Uh and it's a it's a great way to make the hiring process easy. Instead of reading resumes of 50 or 100 people, you might be only looking at resumes for maybe five or 10. We're able to actually fill most of our sales roles by just talking to eight people when we use this tool to filter our candidate pool up front. The other, the other powerful thing about this is, and, and I misspoke a bit, I'm being a little technical here, but I misspoke a bit when I said, I'm not built to be a CEO. What I really should have said was, I'm not built to fulfill the role definition that is common for a CEO. <laughs> mm. If you could, if you, if I was going to build my company and I wanted to be the CEO of that company, I would redefine the role of the CEO to match my performance DNA, which would be, I'd be a selling CEO. Let's just put it, let's just use that shorthand. Okay, great. You're a selling CEO. What that means is then is all, all the other components of a traditional CEO role, I'd have to go find someone else to fulfill those components. Now, what that allows me to do is to, to hold that title of CEO and, and have a very clear role definition that makes sense, but also not put my company at risk by making sure that I have people around me who can round out that role definition. So that's really powerful. What does this mean for an organization? Well, if you've got an institutional an employee with, that has lots of institutional knowledge that you that you want to keep, but they're not right for the role they're in, what do you do? Let's design a role just for them. So we design the role just for them. It fits them. Now, what gaps exist because of the transformation, the change that we made uh, in the role definition? Who else do we have to backfill to help support that individual? You can see the decisions that we're making now about how to build our organization. Uh, this is like, this is very data centric. It's very accurate and it's very empowering for, for a leader of an organization. You're guessing much less. There's much less room for error and you're not wasting your time kind of wondering, are we making the right decisions? You're not delaying decisions. You become very decisive, very powerful. Mm. This, uh, I think this would be a great way to zoom back out uh, and emotionally appreciate how powerful it is to get this data. So I want to ask you this question. I'll share one first as we kind of think about uh, closing down. But 
where have you been most personally moved seeing the light bulb go off for somebody yeah. when they understood themselves? So I'll go first with the TSR and, you know, somebody we'd worked with for a number of years, seeing their placement on that team success report, which of course then generates the PSI data about their individual work style, their natural work style, but seeing them take an issue that we had spent 10 or 12 coaching chats over that they were grinding on and, and trying to change themselves. And then that report saying to them, this is who you are. And for them to go, ah, oh, I would have thought I was here, but I see myself here. And it completely makes sense. <laughs> now they're not fighting against who they are and they can, be better for it. What about for you? Any, any story come to mind? Yeah. Uh, well, we do a lot of recruiting in sales for sales environments, and we work with a lot of high growth organizations. And what's interesting about those organizations is that they're, they're compiled uh, of people, executives, leaders, people who come to their roles with assumptions based on their past experience. And what's wonderful about the PSI is it has the potential to destroy assumptions that hold us back as leaders. And I'll just give you a super simple example. In, in the sales world, uh, there's a role called SDR, or sales development rep. And these are folks that um, sit between marketing and sales, and they are responsible for oftentimes making cold or warm calls to prospects to set up appointments for the account executives. And it's, it's a critical role for a high volume and uh, growth centric um, sales force. It's also a role where the, the tenure is maybe, maybe nine months. <laughs> the effective tenure, it's on average is probably nine months. Probably at max, you might get um, a, a year to 18 months out of somebody in that role. And, and the reason that's true is because Oftentimes, the role is used as the entry level, an entry point into a sales organization. So if you're new to sales, start off as an SDR, get your feet wet, make some cold calls, and over time, we'll move you into an account executive role and teach you how to sell, and that's where you make the big money. The problem is it creates, if you have turnover in a role like this that's so pivotal for an organization, it actually degrades your ability to scale. So what's the answer? Well, the answer isn't to try to isn't try to solve for the assumption that you're making that the average tenure is going to be somewhere around nine months for this person, uh, because the job is so difficult, and the only people that take the job nowadays are people who want to be someplace else. Imagine trying to get high production out of someone in that role. So, what do you do? Well, you, what if you could hire someone who was born to do that role? What if you could hire somebody who loved that kind of work and couldn't see themselves doing anything else? And what if you have the, had the ability to datatize that role and then measure and match the candidates that you talk to for that role? So now you don't have to worry about the salesperson or the sales candidate selling you on how perfect they are for the job, right? negotiating salary, all that stuff. You don't have to worry about going through that process with somebody who really doesn't mean it, who just wants to pay their mortgage or just wants to get into your company or just wants to start a sales career. You can avoid all of that 
and have an, under, an understanding up front that you're only going to talk to people who were born, who have a capability, natural capability for that role. And by the way, because they have a natural capability for that role, their, um, their ability to kind of branch out from that role is going to be limited. Their interest in branching out from that role is going to be limited. You're going to hire someone who's a good fit. And as you and I often say, Chris, fit oftentimes equals grit, right? If you're the right fit for the role, and, and any listener can imagine this, when you've ever been doing something that you were meant to do, are you more motivated to do it? Are you more resilient in that role? Uh, are you more innovative? That's what the answer should be yes. And that's what we find over and over again. So when we say that, when we say this is a great tool for growth, we've actually been able to validate that uh, over the last decade of tracking people uh, who've gone through the process and then have been placed. And we definitely have a validated tool that allows you to make decisions far better than gut and far better than any other tool available in the market because of that ability to measure and match. Oh, that's awesome. Measure and match, measure and match. Don't assess and and guess. Right. That's that's the takeaway. And if you're in a place that you're assessing and guessing, uh, admitting that is a first step, but you don't have to stay there or suffer there. Uh, So thanks so much, Jimmy, for breaking it down for us. And uh, mucho appreciation for connecting me to this vision and how much it's already impacting not only who I am, but the team we're building. Pleasure, my man. Great talking to you. Until next time. Yeah, peace. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.